Uh, we are going to be finishing up on this, this series, the three R's. Now, I remember many years ago when I was a younger lad in high school, uh, raise your hand if you are a church kid, if you were born and raised in the church. Come on, all you church kids. Raise your hands high and proud. Praise the Lord. So I was a church kid. I remember, uh, thank you, Brittany. I remember sitting down in my youth group. Wednesday nights was our youth group services. We would sit on the floor because we didn't have room. And I remember this evangelist preaching. And he was preaching so passionately. He was preaching. This man was on fire, and I was never the same after listening to this man preach. Um, he would preach with such passion, such conviction, that it was seriously a, a moment where there was a turning point in my life. And I'll never forget it. And I remember he said something to us that struck me and startled me and, and was quite terrifying. He said to me, and all of us, he talked about the big statistic. Ever heard the big statistic before? He would say this all the time. We're like, what does that mean? The big statistic basically says this, that 90%, 90% of church kids that walk with Jesus in high school, that grow up in the church, 90%, by the time they get to college, they backslide and walk away from Jesus. 90%. This minister is telling this to us, and my friends and I are sitting in our, in, on the floor listening to him preach just like you are right now. I was sitting next to them, and we kind of looked at each other, said, 90%, is that going to happen to us? And we were worried, and we, like, hung out afterwards. We were at Sonic, you know, and we're talking, and we're like, this is never going to happen to us, right? We'll never be a part of this 90% statistic where people walk away from Jesus when they go to college. Now, I have to say that that statistic also exists when you graduate college, about 90%. If you walk with Jesus in Chi Alpha, there is a terrifying statistic also. About 85 to 90% backslide, walk away from Jesus when they exit college. And it struck me. And my friends and I got together and we said, this is never going to happen to us. And then guess what happens? We go into college. Some of us go to this school. Others go to that school. Some of us kind of scatter. Some of us also are a little bit together in our small group. But basically our big family that we had in church, we scattered everywhere. And guess what? To my horror, I realized that about 90% of my friends walked away from Jesus. That big statistic that I said would never happen to us ever, it ended up happening to us. And I, I wrestled with this. I watched on Facebook. I watched as I had conversations with them on the phone as some of them got into doing drugs, got into, um, like, I, I'm not even kidding, actual prostitution. My friends got into just get, becoming alcoholics. And all this stuff I watched, and I remember weeping and crying, seeing that this was a reality even for us. And I didn't want to believe it. And I sat there and pondered, and I pondered, and I wondered, and I was like, Lord, why did this happen? What has gone on here that was what we had back in the day not real? 
is what you, are you guys experiencing right now is what you're experiencing in Chi Alpha, in small group, real enough to propel you into your future and continue walking with Jesus? Is your walk with God real enough today in college, right in this season of your life? Is it real enough to where when you transition to the next thing, you're going to stay firm and walk with Jesus and not falter? My friends and I completely denied it, but it still happened to us. Guys, when I grew up in church, there were two major convictions the church taught me that was phenomenal, that they did an incredible job doing. One of those was a real devotional life. That was a conviction. I grew up and I knew if I was going to walk with Jesus, I needed a real devotional life. You remember hearing Jeremiah preach about real devotional life? The second thing the church taught me that I never forgot that was just crammed into my ears every single Wednesday night and Sunday morning, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, was real relationship. I knew I needed friends to help me walk with Jesus. Those two R's that we previously preached about, I believe the church still to this day does a fantastic job articulating and training and teaching. But then when I watched my friends falter, I started asking the Lord, is this not enough? Is it not enough to read your Bible and pray every day and to hang out with godly friends every day? Are we missing something that causes believers by the multitudes every year to walk away from Jesus? Then I joined a little ministry called Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. And I learned, guys, that these two R's we talked about are absolutely vital, but, they're, but that's not all. There's a third conviction that we must, that every disciple of Jesus must practice in their daily life or you're not going to make it. That third R we're talking about tonight, and we call this real responsibility. We are talking about real responsibility, and we're going to dive into what this means in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, if you did not know, Chi Alpha actually has a verse. There's like a Chi Alpha verse. If you go through LTC, our leadership training class, become a small group leader with us, you will be required to memorize this verse. It's not a very long verse, so you should not have any trouble. Everyone really should have this verse memorized. But this is the Chi Alpha verse. This is like the, the mantra. This is the spirit of Chi Alpha, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'm actually going to read it in the New Living Translation. And that verse says this, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, says Paul to Timothy, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to help us understand what true and real responsibility looks like. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. What does this mean to be truly responsible in the kingdom of God? How does this disciple of Jesus be responsible? Are we talking about just making good grades and getting a job and paying your bills? Kind of, but a little bit more than that. So you're not off the hook, right? None of us are. Um, in this context of what's going on, we're talking about this responsibility, which it, to define this word is, can get complicated. You basically can oversimplify it. If you look up in a lot of dictionaries, it's like of or related to being responsible, which is like stupid. It's like, come on, Webster's. 
get like you got to be at least smarter than that to give us a better definition. But when we when when I say this word responsibility, what I mean when I say that is basically hold, upholding the duties and convictions that God has placed on your life. That's responsibility. Upholding the duties and convictions that God has placed on your life. Basically, to simplify, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes? Living out according to God's purpose for you. That was Isaac's definition. I think it's a good one. Living out according to God's purpose for you. Doing what God has mandated us to do. Now, in Caiapha, what have we learned? What has God mandated us to do? What has God asked his believers to do? What does responsibility look like in a Christ-like army? One of the most interesting and humorous, even, encounters where Peter, this is right at the end of Jesus' time where he's fixing to ascend after the crucifixion. He's hanging out with Peter. He's having a discussion with Peter. And, and, and him and Peter are going back and forth. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. So, and you have this big summary of Peter's relationship with Christ the Messiah. Peter's like, what do you want from me, Jesus? And Jesus' reply is, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What we're talking about today is how do you really be responsible in God's economy? How do you be really responsible for the things that God cares about? And when Chi Alpha, we call this find, feed, and fighting for the lambs of God. Do you know what you are here to do in your small group? You are here to find, feed, and fight for the lambs of God. That is our mission. That is our goal in Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. Are you all with me? So hopefully your small group, you have experienced a little bit of what this, this looks like. To be responsible in Christ's economy is to, is to be, join him in finding, feeding, and fighting for the lambs of God. First, let's talk about find. How do we find? Let's take a good lesson from Gandalf the Grey and Bilbo Baggins. Of all the Lord of the Rings movies and books, this scene in the first Hobbit movie, and the Lord of the Rings are way better than the Hobbit movies, but bear with me. This scene is magnificent. This scene where Gandalf is, so if, if you're not a Lord of the Rings person, Bilbo is a hobbit. He, he is not interested in adventure. He's not interested in getting in danger. He wants to safely be in his home, and he wants to read his books. He, wants to sit, he just wants to live a comfortable life in Bag End, but Gandalf needs Bilbo. And he's coming to Bilbo, and he's saying, I'm, he's basically recruiting Bilbo on this great adventure to slay a dragon. It's an absolutely terrifying thing for a tiny hobbit. And there's this conversation that goes on between Gandalf and, and Bilbo. They're arguing back and forth, and Gandalf is trying to convince Bilbo it's time to get up and go on this adventure with us. He says, the world is not in your books and your maps, Gandalf says. It's out there. Bilbo says, I can't just go off running into the blue. I am a Baggins of Bag End. Yes, Gandalf says, but you are also a Took, because... Bilbo's lineage is he had one family who were the typical hobbits, but he had another side of his family, which were the adventurous, getting into trouble type of hobbits. But, but you don't speak about those hobbits because they bring shame and stuff to the culture. So Gandalf is reminding Bilbo, but you, Bilbo, are also a took. Did you know that your great-great-great-uncle uh, Bullroarer took 
Took was so large, he could ride a real horse? Yes, well, he could. In the Battle of Greenfields, he charged the goblin ranks. He swung his club so hard it knocked the goblin king's head clean off, and it sailed a hundred yards through the air and went down a rabbit hole. And thus, the battle was won, and the game of golf invented at the same time. Bilbo says, I do believe you made that up. Gandalf says, well, all good stories deserve embellishment. And then Gandalf says these words, you'll have a tale or two to tell of your own when you get back. Bilbo asks, can you promise that I will come back? Gandalf says, no. But if you do, you will not be the same. Guys, this character and attribute of Bilbo Baggins is the exact same attribute and character that we see in the church today. You see, you can safely go through church. You can safely be raised in church. I know this as a church kid. And you can never be challenged ever to go outside your walls and preach the gospel to a person that needs it so badly. You would rather stay comfortably in your seats You'd rather stay at home with your books and say, no, 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 pastor, or no, 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 small group Peter, just let me be a Christian, but private. You see, which is a contradiction in terms, because there's no such thing as a private Christian, as we're going to find out in just a minute. Do y'all follow me? Bilbo is like, don't let me, like, just let me be safe. And in the church, we have this culture where we're saying, let me be a Christian, but private. Don't force me to get out of my house. Don't force me to share my faith. Don't force me to preach the gospel. Let me stay here and be cozy and safe in my nice, clean, warm pew. I've heard this said before. Guys, look, my spiritual gift just isn't evangelism. Come on, church kids. You've heard it before. That's not my gifting, so I don't need to preach the gospel. I don't need to share my testimony. That's not my gift. That's for the weird extrovert people. Let them preach the gospel because they're good at it. I'm not good at it, so leave me alone. Guys, y'all follow me? This is the attitude that we see, but there's a problem with this. We are never going to see souls saved inside our bedrooms. We are never going to see the lost coming to Jesus if we live our private, safe, hermetically sealed, shrink-wrapped Christian lives. We are never going to see a harvest that God is promising us. Guys, the missing link, the missing ingredient in the church today is this responsibility. To have responsibility that I must go and find these people. We patiently, we, we have the audacity to think that we're going to hold these massive church services. We're going to turn on the fog machines. The worship's going to play. And it's going to be this unbelievable experience. And we assume that the lost world is just going to come to us? Seriously? You might have three lost people come to your church a year. But the Lord is saying, feed my sheep. The Lord is saying, Jesus says to you in John chapter 20, 21, he says, peace to you as my father has sent me. He says, I also send you. I'm sending you, Jesus says. That involves a moving from one place to the other. You see, in Matthew 28, this is the great commission. He says, go, 
therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is where we get our great commission from. What is Jesus asking the church to do? He's asking us to get up out of our cabins, out of our apartments, and go and preach the gospel to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. Jesus also teaches this in Matthew 18. says, teaches that God is like this shepherd who what? He leaves the 99 in order to find that one who was missing. That's the heart of God, willing to go on an adventure to find the one, to find that one sheep who was lost. Guys, responsibility is not going to church and holding the door open for old ladies. That's not responsibility. That's service, which you should be doing, right? You should, service is like obvious. You, we should be serving one another and serving our church and serving the ministry. But responsibility is not holding a door open for old ladies. It's not being an usher and passing the plate down. It's getting outside your door. It's getting up off your chair and finding lost people and bringing them in. Finding them. The church is supposed to be an entity that is trained in a building. There's nothing wrong with a building. Trained in a building so that you can go and find. Find the lost people, be their friend, and bring them in to the fold and the flock that God is desperately wanting us to do. Are y'all with me tonight? We're never going to make disciples by sitting safely in our church pews on Sunday. We're never going to make disciples sitting in front of Netflix at mom and dad's house. We have got to get out and join our small group in the fight to find the lost sheep of Israel and bring them home. Number two, we're going to feed. First, we got to find, then we are responsible to feed. Well, what I mean by feeding the lambs of God, what I'm saying is that we must be telling our gospel story. Did you know that you, if you're saved, you have a gospel story to tell? You have a story. You have evidence that Jesus is, in fact, alive, that he has impacted your life, that you've been resurrected, that you have been made new, the old is gone, the new has come, right? That is your gospel story. Now, if that is true, if you've been given a light that's inside of you that is that precious and that valuable, and God has charged us, mandated us from the king on high that we must speak, those things, to cast that seed, right? To speak out our gospel story. If that is what God has asked us to do, go, therefore, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, He's, then if that means to keep silent is the cruelest of things. Follow me here. Guys, if the gospel is inside of you and it's requiring you to open your mouth and speak your gospel story, telling your testimony, if that's love and that's salvation and that's, that's hope, then silence is the cruelest thing of all, especially for a believer. Silence is cruelty. You know why? Because you can destroy a person by your silence. Follow me with me with this uh, analogy. There's a book called The Company of the Committed, and it's a fascinating book. You should read it. So uh, I, let's take a volunteer. Xavier, could I use you for a second? Hop up. Y'all give Xavier a hand. We're going <clears> to... <throat> 
This is Xavier's, my friend. Xavier, have a seat in this chair. I have planted this chair for this specific analogy. You don't have to do nothing, actually. You just got to stand there, okay? This is Xavier. Stand. What? He's going to sit. You're going to sit. Sit right here. The reason he's going to sit, because Xavier has just been accused. We're going to pretend here. We're going to pretend Xavier has just been accused of murder. Yes. You see, last week he was hanging out in the student union, and someone, some, some person came up to him and was like, Xavier, I, this is the accusation. I really don't like your beard. And Xavier, the, the accusation is that Xavier got so angry, he, he swung his Bible so hard, hit them in the head, and they died instantly on the spot. Okay? <laughs> yes. So he's just been accused of murder by way of Bible smacking. And now, here's the point, is you guys, pretend you have just been involved in this because you know, actually, wait a minute, I know for a fact that Xavier was not in the student union last week. I saw him in Starbucks at that exact same time, which means you have evidence Okay, follow me here. You've got evidence, corroborating evidence that he did not commit that crime, that he was at different places, a different time, and those accusations are untrue. Now, here's the problem. He has a court day. He's got to sit in a chair before a judge and a jury and lawyers. Now, here's the thing. You know, you know he's innocent because you were there when they said he could, you were there in Starbucks, you saw him in Starbucks, he was not in the union. What if you refuse to show up and stand up for his defense, to be a witness of, for his innocence? You see what happens? By your silence, and he goes to jail or gets death row, you destroy a man by staying silent. By refusing to take the stand and to be a witness for the fact that he was not committing that crime, by you keeping your mouth shut, you are equally guilty of murder because you've destroyed his life. Thank you, Xavier. You can sit down. Guys, what am I saying? Luke chapter 9 says this. Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. Guys, silence is the cruelest of things. Because what this means, if silence is this cruel thing, God is communicating to us that we have a moral obligation to be a witness for the king. We have a moral obligation to be a witness. Those of you that are experiencing the rejuvenating healing and the salvation of Jesus, that means that you have indisputable evidence that Jesus is not dead, that he is in fact alive and that you have a moral obligation to open your mouth and to take that stand and say, my Redeemer lives. He is not dead. He's changed my life, and he can change yours too. Do you see what I'm saying? By being silent, we deny the gospel. By being silent, Jesus takes the stand, and we just watch it happen because we don't want to be embarrassed or we want to be in comfort. Guys, your gospel story is a precious treasure that God has given you to share to one another. We have a moral obligation to be a witness 
for the king. We hold salvation opportunity inside of us for our peers, our friends, and our neighbors. Follow with me through this next illustration. Imagine the horror of, imagine our minds being opened up and we get to see a glimpse into hell. Imagine the horror of knowing that there's people in hell that might not have been there had we spoken up. Imagine the horror. Imagine the pain. Imagine, the, imagine that gut-wrenching feeling of knowing that person could be in hell and they're eternity separated from God, never a chance for them to know Jesus, to, to be in the kingdom of God, to receive salvation. They are in hell forever, for eternity, and I failed to open my mouth. My silence in so many ways has put them there. Imagine seeing the faces of some of those people in our lives and how horrible that would be to know there's people in hell because I stayed silent. Now, imagine going to heaven. Imagine showing up on eternity's shores and seeing the faces of people that you shared your gospel story to. Imagine the friends and the family members that are going to meet you in heaven because you opened your mouth to be a witness for the king. Imagine UTRGV having a hangout in heaven because we preach the gospel to our peers I'm serious. What if we all had a giant mansion together and we took turns cooking dinner and stuff? What if God separates a neighborhood just for UTRGV because we shared the gospel with our friends and we want to see them there in heaven worshiping Jesus right alongside of us? Imagine the cities we could build in heaven by sharing our gospel story here in the valley. You see what I'm saying, guys? We can impact eternity for the rest of time. We can impact people's futures by opening our mouths and saying, Jesus has changed my life. He is, in fact, alive. He can change your shoe. You want, you want to live in, in heaven in the UTRGV Chi Alpha neighborhood? Because that sounds awesome to me. And I look forward to seeing all of you there. But guys, you have a story that somebody needs to hear. Your life and what Jesus has taught you is a sermon. And here's the kicker that really kicks you in the teeth. Is there someone out there behind these walls, going to these classes, going to your jobs, going to your work, the same place you are, the same environment you're in, there's a person out there, there's only one sermon that's going to reach them, and that could be your sermon. There's people out there, my friends, that the only thing that could tip them over into loving Jesus and surrendering to it is your story. Your story of how Jesus has changed you. When I met my wife, she had a small group of a ton of girls. She had a ton of girls in small group. And I remember having a conversation with her. There's this revelation because she met these girls. She's like, Daniel, these girls have been through the same stuff I've been through. I know them. I know what they've been through. The things you've suffered with is a tool that God is going to use in his hand to reach someone who's also suffered. So this guy named Gabriel, I don't know who he is, but he said this, and it's good. He says, I am obligated to bear witness because I hold, as it were, a particle of light. And to keep it to myself, 
He says, and to keep it to myself would be equivalent to extinguishing it. You have a gospel story inside of you, and to keep that gospel story to yourself is to basically say it's not true. Guys, we are called to feed the lambs of God, to find and to feed them. And thirdly and lastly, we need to fight for the lambs of God. We need to fight for the lambs of God. One of the most wonderful, precious friends I have in the whole world, her name is Jessica Soto. Now, Jessica Soto was a student. She's a student here. She led a killer small group. She's over there, I think. But nonetheless... She led a small group here. She, did a, she's, she has a ton of influence here. The Lord has used her in an incredible way. She's graduated, and she's become a nurse. And she's fighting for the kingdom of God in this hospital as a nurse. And the Lord is fulfilling these, this incredible thing. And she told me a story for the rest of my life I will not forget. Because you got to understand, when you're a doctor or a nurse or a police officer, you basically see the worst in people every single day. That's horrible. You see, like, the front, like, sin of everyone's terrible decisions every single day. And so she has this man who is uh, one of her patients that she's caring for, and he is the most angry, bitter person in the world, and he's screaming and cussing. And so she gets to work in the morning, and that's, that's the first thing you want to hear is screaming and cussing, right, when you first go to work. And Jessica's basically got to put up with this guy for the rest of the day And basically, she goes in there. This man is like, give me this certain medicine. Give me that. You don't know what you're doing. Blah, beep, beep, beep. You know, all this stuff. And she leaves the room. Now, this is what I find fascinating is the other more experienced nurses, the older ladies, go through and say, you know what? Don't bother going in there. If he's going to treat you like that, then he's just going to refuse his care. And he's not going to get any help. I wouldn't go there if I were you. But Jessica Soto's response was different. She said, no. She said this, this sentence, she said, this man is going to be my friend if it's the last thing I do. Yes? Now, that's incredible. Guys, that's incredible. Because that's what I'm talking about, fighting. She says, you are going to be my friend if it's the last thing I do. So every few like like uh, term or 30 minutes or an hour, she's running in there to help this man who's treating her like garbage. She's going in there. She's serving him. She's giving him the stuff that he's asking for. She's like, yes, sir, right away. And she's got a smile on her face. And she's like helping this guy. She's cleaning him up. She's doing all this disgusting stuff, serving this man who's being a jerk to her. But she is not letting it affect her at all. And by the end of the day, she had done so much work for this man that basically he's like, hey, uh, you're pretty cool, and I like you a lot. you want to date my son? <laughs> it's true. Now, obviously, Jessica did not take that offer, and she laughed. But the point, the point is this, guys. Guess what? She broke him. She broke him. She broke through that hard shell and that barrier, And she found that this hard, stubborn, angry man, that there's a soul inside of there. Guys, when I mean, when you hear us say fighting for small group members, this is exactly what I mean. That you get people in your life 
and you say you don't take no for an answer. You say, you are going to be my friend by the end of this semester if it's the last thing I do. You know what I've learned? Many times God puts difficult people in your life on purpose just to test your capacity to love. Sometimes God puts difficult people in your life just to test your capacity to love. Guys, you want to know one of the biggest things that will grow a brotherhood and a sisterhood? One of the biggest things that grows brotherhood and sisterhood is pain. Walking with each other through their pain. Listening to people when they cry out to you in pain. And keeping, we, you know, I'm talking about telling our stories, but also I'm talking about keeping our mouth shut and listening. Listening to people who are hurting. Because the moment you spend that time and listen to someone who's hurting, you open up the opportunity to speak into their life, to find substantial healing. We have to fight the harder outer shell of the hard-hearted people so that we can get to that inner core, so that we can plant that seed, that Christian gospel right into that heart. You see what I'm saying? Guys, sometimes fighting means that we have to forgive the unforgivable. C.S. Lewis said it best, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. If you want to kick the devil in the teeth, forgive a person that doesn't deserve it. Kick the devil straight in the mouth. But guys, I understand. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have friends that are difficult friends. They want nothing to do with God. Believe me, I know. I know what it's like. But I want us to remind, at this last point, I want us to remind us all, is that duty is not the thing that keeps you going on the battlefield. Our duty to the kingdom, that's not what's going to keep you going. Only love will keep you going. Now, I want you, I want you to follow me here, because I don't mean it exactly how we might think. Duty will not keep us going on the battlefield. Only love. I don't necessarily mean love for the sinner. Now follow with me here. Don't leave me. (laughs) Of course we love the sinner. But guys, even that, that's not going to keep you going. It's love for him. It's love for him that keeps you going. Because when when someone's drunk and they're puking all over your shirt because they're making stupid life choices, you're going to love that person (laughs) in that moment? Maybe not. Maybe if if you're hardcore, you might. But, But... this, this is what I mean, guys, is that your love for him, your love for Jesus Christ, that's what gets you to smile when there's puke on your clothes, is your love for Jesus. It's because what Jesus has done, it is not duty as a believer that keeps us going. It's love for Jesus who is alive and who has changed us and who has saved us. Christ the Father is saying, Jesus is saying to his Father, Lord, I will take responsibility for what is near and dear to your heart. Jesus himself, the reason we take responsibility and say we're going to fight for souls because it's mandated by the king and because God deserves it and all of these things is because Jesus did that thing. Jesus took responsibility for what God held dear and near and close to his heart. Jesus took responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. Jesus took sin on his shoulders that he did not commit. And he did that for you and for me. Jesus took that blunt and took that blow. Guys, what making disciples is, is taking responsibility for what God holds dear. 
Guys, if we're going to love Jesus, if we're going to love God, if we're going to search after Jesus and know him through and through, if you are interested in walking with God, not for just four years in university and in Chi Alpha, if you are interested in walking with God for the rest of your life and serving him, then we have to have this attitude and this conviction of taking responsibility for the people that are dear to God who are lost. We got to get out of the church. We got to get out of our Chi Alpha little room and we got to find them and bring them into the company of Jesus. We need to feed them and give them the gospel, give them the word of God, and we need to fight for them as well. Find, feed, and fight for the lambs of God. I'm going to ask the band to return. We're going to close with this.